Welcome to the Pacey Performance Podcast. Today, I'm speaking to research scientist at Orico, Georgie Bruinvels. Thanks for tuning in to episode 294 of the Pacey Performance Podcast. So I first spoke to Georgie on a Playmaker webinar, which was all around train the female athlete. And straight after that, well, even during that conversation with Georgie where we did a Q&A, I was planning on texting her after to, to see if she wanted to come on the podcast because she was so, so impressive with the information that she was sharing around the menstrual cycle. So in this episode, we discuss uh, the menstrual cycle in depth, or Georgie discusses the menstrual cycle in depth. We discuss breaking down the barriers and how male coaches can potentially broach that subject with their with their female athletes. Uh, Georgie discusses mapping the menstrual cycle, common symptoms, uh, health screening, uh, and 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 busts some um, some menstrual cycle myths and some common misunderstandings. So a really, really interesting chat. And it's something, it's an area that I find absolutely fascinating. And it was it was Dawn Scott, who I spoke to um, earlier on in the podcast. And if you want to have a little look at, listen to that, you can dive into the archive. But it was in that episode with Dawn that I, I got a, a real interest in this area. So to have Georgie on and discuss it again was absolutely superb. She's an absolute gun, she's superb, brilliant. Um, so if you are working with female athletes, or even if you've just got an interest in this area, it's an incredible listen. I've shared it with a couple of uh, colleagues of, of mine and of Georgie's who've listened to this already before it's gone out and they were super, super impressed. So I know you'll absolutely love this episode. This episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast is sponsored by Hawking Dynamics, the world's first wireless force plate testing system. So the Hawking Dynamics system is built around what coaches want so they can test in the real world and not just in the lab. So you're able to capture reliable data on all athletes in a matter of minutes and monitor progress from their cloud-based system from anywhere in the world. So as I've mentioned, the Hawking Dynamics force plates are wireless, which means they're portable, and they're also trusted by teams at a number of different levels in a number of different sports. So integrating force plates into your athlete monitoring system uh, could not be easier and more affordable. So if you want to get to know a little bit more about Hawking Dynamics or actually see their plates in action, head over to the website, uh, which is hawkingdynamics.com, um, which you can, I mean, you can also schedule a demo and follow them on Twitter at Hawking Dynamics. This episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast is sponsored by I Measure You. So used by leading sports practitioners and biomechanics researchers worldwide to capture and compare multi-limb inertial data in the field, IMU Step from I Measure You is a dual sensor and app lower limb load monitoring tool which helps practitioners optimize return to play for running based sports. So I Measure You have just released their new and improved waterproof sensor Blue Trident, which includes ultra high G capabilities to quantify high impact steps such as cutting, landing and sprinting, longer battery life to collect data all day, real-time feedback to aid immediate interventions and faster workflow so practitioners can review long training sessions within minutes of training completion. 
I Measure You, now part of Vicon, works with military, pro and collegiate coaches and athletes from around the world, including the Australian Institute of Sport, US Department of Defence and collegiate and pro teams from around the world. If you want to get to know more about I Measure You, head over to their website, imeasureyou.com or follow them on Twitter or Instagram at imeasureyou. So without further ado, over to the episode with Dr. Georgie Bruinvels. Thanks for tuning in to the Pace Performance Podcast. This evening, I am delighted to welcome Georgie Bruinvels. So thank you for thank you for coming on and uh, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Did I do, did I do okay with your surname? Perfect. Excellent. Like I, said, like I said to you before, it's my biggest fear. Time zones, and we're all right because we're both in the UK, so that's nothing for me to worry about. But secondly is mispronouncing uh, people's surnames, so we nailed both, thankfully. <laughs> well, I'm going to mine. It's all good. So anyone who doesn't know who you are, would you give us a bit of a background on yourself, what you're currently doing, uh, education-wise, and what you've done previously? Yeah. Um, so right now I am a research scientist at Orico. Um, I can explain a bit more about Orico in a bit, I'm sure, but Orico is essentially like a sports science and data analytics company. So we work with um, athletes all around the world across a whole range of different sports. Um, my background is, so my undergraduate was in physiological science um, from Bristol University. Um, Then I worked actually for UK Anti-Doping in the city for, I think it was about three years, got to work at the Olympics, which was absolutely amazing in London. Um, Then I went and studied for my PhD at UCL. Um, It was all around iron metabolism, uh, the menstrual cycle and the female athlete. Um, and then I started working for Orico, um, initially part-time through my PhD, and then um, I've been full-time for, I think it's about four years now, actually. That's me in a nutshell. Yeah, no, that's great. So in terms of, anti- what were you doing for anti-doping? Pushing yeah, so um, I was effectively helping with the coordination of testing, so working out which athletes to test and when, and helping with the like planning and management of it. Um, I also got to do some work with the science team, which was obviously that was my passion. But I came in at a sort of entry level job, and then I got to do some pretty cool stuff, um, like. I guess doing profiles around new and up and coming drugs. Um, I got to go over to the lab at King's College, um, see what they're up to there, which was awesome. Um, did some education sessions, and I did a stint in the intelligence team as well, which was like really cool. Nice. And that that definitely when I was young, I, I think I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I was very much like into science and I loved all things about the like female physiology but there was also a small part of me that thought I wanted to be like this young independent woman in the city um so I felt like I kind of got that bit done (laughs) and then I was like I need to go back to science um so yeah then I did my PhD excellent so Oracle talk to us a little bit about that I know we mentioned it on the webinar that we did with um with Steve the guys at yes. Player Maker. It'd yeah. be interesting to, to just go through that again, maybe dig a little bit deeper. I know people are interested in what you guys are doing, keeping yeah. it a bit more visible. And um, yeah, just a bit, of a bit of an intro on them would be great. 
Yeah, so um, ORK was founded by Dr. Brian Moore um, and Dr. Andy Hodgson, um, who are both Irish. Um, Andy Hodgson is a medical doctor. He's actually a hematologist. He does some like really, really cool work over there and always puts my life into perspective. Um, And Dr. Brian Moore um, did his PhD actually over in the UK at Brunel University, but he um, his real specialist area is around like understanding athletes biomarkers so like blood biomarkers so if you did a blood test um on an athlete you really I guess Brian would like dig deeper and really understand like how um their specific biomarkers were changing longitudinally so over time um and really Orico came off the back of Brian just seeing all these patterns emerging primarily in distance runners um he spent a lot of time in Kenya working with athletes over there um and I think he he felt that he could just see when an athlete was overtrained he could see when they were at increased risk of illness or injury and so he combined with Andy Hodgson's sort of medical hematological um, understanding and decided to form this company called Orico. Um, Now Orico has loads of different clients from different sports. So um, I guess that was like the initial like model of just like longitudinal biomarker testing, um, which is still kind of our bread and butter, but we've added on more um, kind of services on top of it as we've grown as a company. Um, but essentially we work with athletes in the NBA, in the Premier League, um, in golf, um, in swimming, in track and field, um, canoeing, um, some rowers from our female athlete side, a um, whole range of different sports, essentially. Um, and our aim is to effectively be the team within the team. So we support the medical team, we support the performance team to make informed decisions based on athletes like hematological profile so be it the um blood test that like full blood test where we have like an extended blood testing and um, looking at markers of oxidative stress like inflammation immune profiles etc um and so we do that sort of four times throughout the season in our like professional teams um and then alongside that we have point of care tests so we can provide like snapshots on any one day to help um again the support team know whether an athlete is at risk of overreaching or if they are um you know carrying a slight infection and um so dr charlie pedlow and dr nathan lewis are our kind of two key scientists at orico um and they have very much like built up this program and this platform um to help um us be really smart around um informing that support team whether an athlete is good to go or whether they need to completely pull back or whether there needs to be some halfway house um and so i guess like that's the kind of history but then more and more um over the last like probably 18 months a lot of my personal focus has been around our female program um which like i feel very lucky to have been able to um develop along with some of my colleagues at at orico um and so because obviously there's not so much money in in women's sport that the way that looks is a bit different at the moment, even though I hope long term for our 
services or us to be able to support our female athletes in the same way like hematologically as our male athletes but at the moment we're kind of taking a different uh, approach with it very much to almost start at the bottom and, and build up and kind of put extra layers on on top of what we're already doing nice so in terms of your phd should we we'll, we'll go back there yeah and just have a little bit of a discussion around that uh-huh. and then we'll get more into the um into the discussion points and menstrual cycle and all the all that interesting stuff around that. So in terms of your PhD, what uh-huh. was the what was the focus and how was that kind of informing and helping what you guys do now, what you do now and what you guys do now? Yes. So um, I started my PhD very much focusing on trying to better understand um, iron deficiency. So how you identify iron deficiency. So which like markers you should be using to identify if someone's iron deficient and what the cutoff should be for them. So, for example, everyone talks about, oh, my iron's good or, oh, my iron's bad or I typically have bad iron. And that's normally based on a marker called ferritin so serum ferritin is like what uh the the assay or the sample that would be run um and that in itself is very widely used to just say yes you know you need to supplement with iron or you really don't um but actually um the guy who's part of our research group in the like iron world uh dr richard burden um he did his phd before me again under charlie peddler as as a primary supervisor um and he very much showed that supplementing athletes with iron um, based on certain specific ferritin kind of cutoff points um, actually didn't do anything to their performance and so technically you can say that if someone's iron status is suboptimal for them if you supplement and improve that iron status then if there's a physiological improvement or a psychological improvement or general improvement then that would suggest that they were iron deficient if there's not then you think well actually they're not iron deficient because though it wasn't affecting any of the measured variables um anyway so he very much started questioning actually is the typical cutoff for ferritin um appropriate and so my aim was to then come in and say okay um let's further our understanding here let's use different so he used a cutoff of ferritin of uh, 35 in um women and 40 in um men and so my aim was to come in and look at okay what happens if we brought that right down to lower and then like assessed that um but also adding in like a slightly different dosing protocol and then looking at other biomarkers as well of iron status it like serum transferrin transferrin saturation etc um so that was kind of the initial plan and and i very much did stick to that um like in in part but then i think the aim for me was to find some um people who were more susceptible to iron deficiency initially um and obviously my passion is the female athlete so i I kind of wanted to keep focusing on the female athlete and focus on the female athlete for my PhD. Um, So my first study was aiming to effectively look at heavy menstrual bleeding because you would say that that would increase risk of a compromised iron status. Um, So then you would effectively find people who could be part of this iron study. Um, And anyway, I was doing a bit of digging and I at the time was also doing some work in the lab with some of actually my training partners who um, were like doing monitored treadmill runs at altitude in the St Mary's lab. 
And um, I just remember like a few of them talking to me about their periods and saying, oh, they're heavy bleeders. And I was like, what do you mean you're a heavy bleeder? How do you know you're a heavy bleeder? And so actually that was in the back of my mind that elite athletes can be heavy bleeders um, when actually you'd kind of think a lot of historical research said elite athletes, particularly runners, don't even have periods or don't have regular periods. So that was kind of something that got me thinking um but anyway we then decided to do my first phd study looking at prevalence of heavy menstrual bleeding totally never explored before in athletes or exercising women at all um with a view to then find iron deficient women anyway so um i was really lucky actually um charlie is um has a good good colleague called Dr. Courtney Kipps, who um, works for the London Marathon. And um, I managed to get permission to go and survey women at the like pre-event um, number collection exhibition at, at the London Marathon. And so I went there, I actually just ran my first marathon the weekend before. I remember thinking, in advance like I think because you don't know when you're going to run a marathon I remember preparing for all eventualities I actually got someone to be prepared to cover for me in case I died but um <laughs> <laughs> anyway luckily I was fine um but I spoke to 1072 women and I just it was like a, an absolute mic drop moment for me the whole that four-day window and I felt like I was just addicted to being there because it was like I just gave women this opportunity to talk about their period. And it was like they'd never had that before. And because my background's very much been in science, I did, I do understand that, but they didn't. And I'm not saying I understand everything, but I had more of an understanding. And, you know, women were saying to me, I'm going to be on my period when I'm racing in London on Sunday. Like, what, what should I do? Can I run? I, I thought I was just supposed to stay in bed with a hot water bottle. Should I just take loads of painkillers? Or I'm going to be premenstrual. I'm in so much pain. How do, I, how do I deal with this? How can I manage it? And it was just like question after question after question. And it, it was actually really, um, I, I, I say it was a mic drop mo moment, but it was also really sad because it made me realize how debilitating some people's symptoms are. Um, and alongside that, I think it was like the level of education, but also the lack of historically talking about it and that was actually one of the things that we found as part of this um study that we ran that people just don't talk about it because often you don't know your experience is abnormal because you might only talk about it to your mother who there's a genetic component to a lot of this you might be going through the same thing so um yeah that that very much kind of changed the tack of my phd uh, or i say very much but that did in in some parts and also when I came into Orico, I think I was also very much um, alert to this need. Um, and so, yeah, then my PhD kind of went down. So keeping on focusing around heavy menstrual bleeding, um, part of my PhD was funded by Bodyform, um, so the sanitary product provider. And I did like a campaign with them, which was really cool, actually, just to like raise awareness around the fact that you can exercise when you're menstruating and at different times in your menstrual cycle, you might feel a bit different, but actually that's okay. Um, and just raising awareness around that. Um, yeah, and then my next few studies were drilling down into um, iron deficiency alongside heavy menstrual bleeding. Um, and then finally, I did like this big iron deficiency study at the end. Um, so yeah, that was the 
No, that's 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 really interesting. So, how, so, so when was that? When did you complete it? I completed it in. So I started it in um, twenty fifteen, I think, and I completed it in twenty eighteen. Mm-hmm. So just in, I know that's not that long ago. It's only a couple of years mm-hmm. ago. But do you think in your work with athletes, do you think there's been any change in how people are readily willing to communicate about? menstrual cycle just in that, yeah. in that short period definitely like i so i my phd literally kind of kicked off with heather watson um saying at the australian open that she underperformed because she was menstruating um and for me like as sorry as i felt for her she just come off like an amazing win at the hobart international um and she went from that to then le- losing in the first round and i've actually spoken to Judy Murray quite a lot about this and said like even though I feel really sorry for her it it helped me massively (laughs) because (laughs) actually that was the she was someone that spoke up about it and then Petra Kvotova did as well Paula Radcliffe has done Jess Judd has done and there's a few people who have um kind of been making headlines for it um which I think does help people talk about it however one of the big things I say as much as our probably like media team don't like it at Orico but I this shouldn't be making headlines it's a normal natural process that we need to be normalizing and I I I definitely do think it is normalizing normalizing I think that the Telegraph women's sport uh doing some amazing work around normal normalizing all aspects of female physiology and I think the more we can do that the better um I think a large reason for that is just the the lack of historic education around it. And, uh, you know, a big passion of mine is to like tap into the school system and help people, um, you know, be educated from a young age so they're not embarrassed about it and they don't have a fear of, of it. I'll tell you a, a little funny story. I think you'll you'll enjoy it. I, after the podcast that I did with Dawn, uh, when was that? Probably maybe six months ago. Okay. Yeah. We were, I'd just done it before my wife had a Christmas party with work. Amazing, and yeah. I, don't really, I don't really know her work colleagues. I didn't at the time anyway. And we'd gone, we'd had a few drinks. And then one of them said, so what What do you actually do, Rob? Like, are you, are you some sort of like journalist? What's this podcast? So I was talking to him about it. And he's like, so who do you have on? I was like, well, who do you know? Well, Dawn, Dawn Scott, US Women's National Team. And, she, and he was like, well, what? This is a guy and his wife who I don't yeah. really know and still yeah. don't know. Yeah. But this is the reason why. Um, <laughs> and, and he was like, oh, well, what do you discuss? So I went into it and the, just the like the guy almost like shriveled and died yeah. as I started yeah. talking about it. And I guess that's probably a quite a common thing to have oh, to have happen if you're going to – not that it's pretty appropriate to start discussing it at Christmas parties when you don't know anyone, well, but I thought it was – yeah, I thought it was really interesting yeah. because I was really, I was really interested in it, and obviously the 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 great work that that Dom was talking about, and yeah, it was just a, I was quite normal about it at that point. They clearly weren't and oh. had never discussed it between themselves. Oh, that really? Was interesting yeah, one. Well, it is. It came across that way. Yeah, yeah. And it, it is interesting because, like, even so, my dad, like, when I was growing up. I remember if he came into the room and me and my sister were talking or me and my sister and my mum were talking and we didn't want him to be involved, he'd say, what are you talking about? And we'd say, 
periods and he'd literally like run out the room and 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 even now like people talk about ask him what he does like I read this email he sent to someone um the other day and they said something about like what's your daughter up to and he said oh she she deals with women's things and I was like oh my gosh you're my own father but I I, I do I feel like that it's, it's there's definitely a generational element to it yeah. as well but the yeah. more the more we can you know like you having Dawn on like kindly having me and like that kind mm. of that will hopefully will help to increasingly like break that barrier but also I do think education is so important um, and, and actually like I always say this let's step back and realize that women's hormones are fluctuating in this pattern that is cyclical and yes there's a like menstrual period there's a bleed at one point in the cycle but the rest of the time hormones are constantly changing it shouldn't just be about the bleed that's just a kind of side effect of the hormonal changes so looking at it more objectively i think is like a good way to approach it mm -hmm. when it does come to education and if you're going into a club with staff that are male staff that are female that maybe haven't discussed this amongst the the coaching team or the the playing staff whatever that may be what's your first part of call in trying to break down them barriers yeah. to actually start discussing this often i like to do education sessions that are mixed so you want to have the athletes and the and the staff there i think um never so my supervisory team were all men so from the word go, I had to talk about heavy menstrual bleeding as if it was the most normal thing in the world. And I think when I was 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, probably, I was so embarrassed about periods. And I think that's actually a big motivation of mine right now. Um, but I think that actually, like just being completely factual and scientific about it um, really, really helps. And I think breaking it down into phases like we do um, also means, so for example, at Chelsea, they just refer, they don't say, oh, they're on their period. They say, oh, they're in phase one. So even though I'm not like excusing the need to talk about it, but I do think that that helps. Um, the other thing is like we've now got a fitter coach platform, like a coach coach platform, which again um, enables coaches to have the discussion. It talks to our app so that it, like you have the discussion, but you don't necessarily have to communicate on poolside or um, on the side of the football pitch where you might feel a little bit awkward. Like, it, and that's not like taking away the need to have the discussion. I think just little things like that can help with the facilitation. Um, again, I do think having someone external coming in to talk about it probably helps or someone mm, like maybe a, I, I hate to say like a female doctor or a female practitioner initially raise it. And I, I hate that because I hate the gender stereotype nest to it. But or actually some other um, clients have got like podcasts like this and they've just said to their athletes go away and have a listen um we've actually launched a, launched a podcast for like that being one of the primary reasons um just to say go away and have a listen educate yourself and then we can talk about it but at least they're not the one stuttering stumbling over it because maybe they haven't previously been educated or they understandably just feel a little bit awkward about it so is that platform that you talk about linked to Oracle or is that something separate? It's linked to Oracle. So okay. we have along, so as part of our female athlete program, we have an app that's called Fitter Women, F-I-T-R-W-M-A-N. Um, and that is totally free to download. Like it's, 
I can tell you the whole story about it if you want to hear it. But basically, Absolutely. Love it. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> you're going to regret asking this in 10 minutes when I finish telling you. But basically, um, on while I was doing my PhD, as I said, I got like really, really into this area. And I was just like, oh my gosh, like every day I'd read another paper and I'd just be like totally obsessed. Um, one of my colleagues at Orico, Gronya Kneferi, um, is a product development manager. So um, effectively, her aim and her role at Orico um, was very much to see what the science team were doing and work out how they could, she could make that um, suitable for our clients. Um, and I, I just remember like 9 p.m. phone calls when I was driving back from the lab at St. Mary's and I'd just be like waffling away to her about, and did you know this? And did you know that? And this person said this and, you know, exactly this athlete in the lab today she was struggling like with her premenstrual symptoms and I was reading about it or whatever um and so then I just I literally have such vivid memories of driving out of Bushy Park past Hampton Court Palace if you know the area um and she having sent me a, a voice note that day saying I've got something really exciting to talk to you about she then called me and was like Georgie, let's try and convince Brian, CEO of Oracle Brian, to give us some money to build an app. Um, and so then we went away, we wrote a pitch, um, truly like Dragon's Den style, Shark Tank style. Um, and yeah, he like heard us out. Um, and then he said, right, you've got six months to build an app to get um, 10,000 downloads and basically to prove that this is worthwhile um and so that's what we did and then we kind of keep, have kept developing it from there um which has been really cool but um after i submitted my phd i had this really cool opportunity to go and um speak in at a conference in new zealand if anyone's ever like keen to um I don't know, see how like female programs are really well run. New Zealand are absolutely dominating. They've got like a, a whisper program. Um, Stacey Sims is part of it, Bruce Hamilton. It's amazing. And I was so lucky to go over and speak there at this like female health summit they had. Um, and I also went to Australia and um, then I came back via the States, which is where I actually had a really good chat with Dawn then and I met with you swimming. It was like, it was such an unbelievable trip and amazing to like submit my PhD and just go. But the thing that just came hammering home every single, with every single conversation I had was coaches need this information too. It's all well and good athletes having it, but coaches need it too. So um, on the back of that, again, our amazing product team at Orico went away and developed a, a coach platform. Um, so that's called Fit Our Coach, Fit a Coach. Um, and the app, the Fit a Women app, can link up to the coach platform. So it's an educational resource. It's got loads of publications to read. Obviously, everything we do is fully scientifically backed. We've got like a very intricate scoring system to enable any uh, like science to be included in into our platforms um, and it also lets a coach see on any one day where an athlete is in their menstrual cycle if they've missed a period if they've logged symptoms um, and it explains more about hormonal contraception menstrual dysfunctions etc um, so yeah so now that's actually used like globally as is the app which is pretty cool mm -hmm. amazing so you mentioned the phases there and at Chelsea didn't them saying oh it's they're in phase one or phase two can we dive a little bit deeper into that i know yeah. I, I discussed that with john but i think it is it's great to go over it again and get your you know your take yeah. on it and things so different phases can you talk to us a, 
potential symptoms and how mm-hmm. you do actually put the, the phase into phases? Yeah. So firstly, the phases are derived from hormonal profiles, so changes in hormones. <clears throat> And obviously, in an ideal world, you would measure these, you would measure and confirm these hematologically. So you'd measure, take blood and work out exactly what the hormonal profile is in every single athlete. But that is unbelievably expensive, unbelievably challenging. And also, what does it mean? Because every athlete responds to hormones slightly differently. Um, And every athlete or every woman has different numbers of receptors for different hormones. So basically the concept and the the way we work is very much to break, keep it as simple as we can based on the research that's out there. So we've broken the menstrual cycle down into four distinct phases. Phase one is when you're menstruating. So not not you, but when one is <laughs> menstruating. <laughs> and that's where hormone levels are really low. So the two primary ovarian hormones, estrogen and progesterone, and what we focus on for the purposes of um, the app. Um, and so hormone levels are, are very low for phase one. And then um, when you stop menstruating, you go into phase two, which is um, kind of the second half of the follicular phase. And that's like dominated by increases in estrogen to a point where um, ovulation occurs. And then that's where estrogen like drops down to um, facilitate ovulation. And then um, you jump into the second half of your menstrual cycle, which is called the luteal phase. Um, and that starts with phase three, and that's where um, levels of estrogen and progesterone increase. Um, progesterone has been low throughout the whole of um, phases one and two, so the whole of the um, follicular phase. And then, say in phase three, it's basically dominated by both uh, estrogen and progesterone. People often call that the high hormone phase. And then the premenstrual window um, is what we call phase four, and that's where hormone levels decline. So both estrogen and progesterone, um, or le- levels of them, decrease right the way down to start phase one again. And that's like effectively the process that facilitates the release of the endometrial lining, which is the menstrual bleed. Um, and yeah, loads of other like kind of uh, hormonal and um biochemical changes are going on throughout that process to kind of facilitate it but essentially that's it in a nutshell um and then if you want me to like delve deeper into what that means from an athlete perspective um okay so obviously every athlete is different and so for our fitter women app um anyone any woman out there it's designed for any woman not just athletes can create their profile they can log symptoms they can see where their next period is due to start um, and they can learn more so they can learn about their physiology based on what they're logging um, and what that means from a nutritional perspective etc so that's our kind of general fitter women app and then you have our elite kind of female athlete program and that's where we work on an individual level with Um, typically elite athletes to really understand their menstrual cycle and their symptoms. So we start off by looking at symptoms and different people obviously experience different numbers of symptoms, different symptoms at different times. But primarily um, in terms of phases, phase one would be often where people experience um, 
a, a relatively large number of symptoms. Some people, it may be more phase four specific, but during phase one, we know that's where blood loss is occurring. That's where things like menstrual cramps might happen. People might feel bloated, have headaches, um, sleep is disturbed, etc. Um, but in terms of what's going on and like, or how that affects what you should be doing as an athlete or you should be doing with your athletes, um, so to bring about menstruation as hormones decline, um, there's this increase in release of these hormone-like substances called prostaglandins. Prostaglandins are like uh, mediate an inflammatory response. So that is one of the reasons why people experience symptoms. And we know that there's a number of dietary elements that can help to firstly offset menstrual symptoms um, and also can be used to manage that inflammation. Um, so in phase one, I always say, phase four and phase one, to be honest, bring your A game to your diet. That's where you want to be super savvy. Um, you want to make sure that alongside that you're recovering well. Um, so you're using all recovery strategies that you can after any sort of like muscle damaging exercise. Um, we also know that actually exercise is really good as a treatment for menstrual symptoms. Obviously, if you've got debilitating pain, then that's that's a different conversation. You should definitely see your medical doctor. But we know that exercise is a, is a good kind of management strategy. So getting out and doing exercise is really important, particularly in the elite athlete space where they need to be able to play and train at any time in the menstrual cycle. Um, so yes, I would say that also you want to so bring your A game to nutrition. Obviously, we know that um, losing blood loses iron. Um, there is a study that demonstrates a slight decrease in hepcidin, which is like a, a molecule that controls your ability to absorb iron towards the end of phase one. Um, so getting iron in specifically at that time is really important. Um, in terms of like, I'm sure we'll come to this, in terms of injury risk, there is some data to suggest that in the first half of the menstrual cycle, risk of certain injury types might be increased. I feel like more research is definitely needed um, around this. But regardless, I would say just be um, proactive in terms of risk management strategies. Um, like I'm more than happy to talk to anyone more on a like specific level about this. But um, yeah, I think research is constantly emerging around this and I'm really looking forward to seeing how that goes. Mm -hmm. um, Where we are now in terms of the research, is there any particular area that yeah. is more susceptible? Yeah, so people say that, um, or some research points to anterior cruciate ligament ruptures being more likely in the first half of the menstrual cycle with some showing an increase just prior to ovulation as estrogen levels peak. Um, and like that does make sense in, in a practical or looking at it practically we know that estrogen levels can increase laxity of ligaments so um, there's estrogen receptors around the anterior cruciate ligaments so increased estrogen in the body can increase that like laxity um we also know so dr ellen casey over in new york has done some really cool research around um looking at changes in like neuromuscular firing patterns um, and there is again some research to suggest that these might be altered a little bit around that time um, but there's so many other things that need to be looked at like um, you know 
ankle injuries, like muscle pulls. And I think, um, yeah, that's something I'm really, really keen to keep delving into. I've definitely seen some like preliminary research coming out and um, we do have some preliminary data ourselves uh, looking at injury risk. But I think it's definitely one that I, I don't want to jump and make athletes scared because that's the last thing you want to do. You just want to help them be proactive and be prepared. Um, anyway, I'm really conscious I was supposed to be going on my phase journey. Do you want me to? Oh, no, it's all right. Just one more question on okay, phase yeah. one. Yeah, go for it. How I know there's probably individual, there will be individual differences, but in terms of time frame, how long we're we looking at in that in phase yeah. one? So typically, um, so it's the number of bleed days. Typically, you would see see anywhere from three to seven days. Some people may have a very short bleed. That that would be quite abnormal. Um, and it, it would flag a potential kind of dysregulation to the hypothalamic pituitary gonadal axis which is the process by which menstruation occurs or the reproductive system occurs um some people may have like eight days but any longer than that again i definitely want to get medical input there um the other thing just to say about phase one is like some people really notice mood disturbances there um typically it would be right at the beginning of phase one um some people do feel that it's almost like a massive relief when they start menstruating so it's very much like um different people have different perceptions and different feelings as we said um some athletes can experience changes in coordination feeling weaker feeling their performance is affected but again like to this day i haven't come across anyone who we haven't really managed to get a handle on that so i feel like there are some simple kind of nutritional lifestyle um recovery ways that those things can be handled um and actually one point that i always always need to emphasize is that unless there is an underlying mental dysfunction. I really don't believe that there's any reason why, um, well, I really don't believe, I really believe that there's no reason why an athlete can't perform at their best at any time point in their menstrual cycle as long as they are tracking their menstrual cycle. They're fully aware and proactive around their menstrual cycle. So we're just going to take a very quick break in the chat with Georgie. Hope you enjoyed part one. So over in part two, we continue on this theme of discussing the menstrual cycle and how that affects um, elite female performers. So more health screening, busting some myths and some common misunderstandings. Um, some, some really interesting chat around nutrition adjustments during different phases of the menstrual cycle. And we finish off with a little chat around oral contrace contraception. So really interesting part two coming up with Georgie. This episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast is sponsored by AthleteMonitoring.com, the world's most comprehensive, versatile, and cost-effective athlete health and performance management platform for elite sports. So AthleteMonitoring.com is trusted by top development programs, universities, professional teams, Olympic programs, national sports organizations, and research institutes worldwide. It streamlines data collection, centralizes the management of wellness, training and performance, medical and testing, and administrative data. It also simplifies the interpretation with best practice analytics and evidence-based methods to optimize performance and reduce injury risk. So with all these features on a single platform, AthleteMonitoring.com seamlessly brings key stakeholders together to build healthier athletes, more efficient organizations, and long-lasting successes. To see what AthleteMonitoring.com can do for you, visit AthleteMonitoring.com and schedule a free demo, or follow them on Twitter at AthleteMonitor. 
This episode is also sponsored by Omega Wave, which is the only non-invasive, at-rest technology on the market that analyzes readiness to train via both brain and cardiac analysis. So using DC potential and HRV to understand your brain's energy level and autonomic nervous system balance allows you to use objective data on recovery and readiness that in turn helps you to truly individualize your training and thus optimize performance. Omega Wave also measures ECG from the V6 position and this data can be used by the medical profession to check cardiac health on a frequent basis. The measurement only takes four minutes to perform and results are visualized in an intuitive way thanks to our windows of trainability concept. Omega Wave is used by hundreds of elite sport athletes, military and law enforcement agencies. They are also an official partner of the UFC Performance Institute. So to learn more about Omega Wave, visit their website omegawave.com or visit their social media channels. Okay. okay. So it's totally to get out. I guess that's a big point. I mean, I was, we spoke about this in the webinar, but I'm guessing that can often be a lead to certain anxiety of when is when certain phase is going to fall. If it's going to fall on a match day, and then anxiety goes up, and obviously all the negatives that come with that in terms of performance, in terms of general mental health, 100%. all that kind of stuff. Yeah. yeah, and and the worst thing is just to like make the issue even worse to exacerbate it. Like anxiety also can cause the cycle to be dis- dysregulated and it can cause more symptoms so it's just like a self-perpetuating a nightmare yeah, if you're yeah. not careful yeah so um a lot of again like managing that anxiety is so important and often you know around big competitions that's where you see the increased levels of stress so um that's that's got a massive part to play and i i, I really believe as well in terms of um the education perspective like that's a really important message to communicate to both athletes and support staff to help them um I guess like be proactive and work out ways to manage it in advance and sometimes it literally is the discussion around it like once they've had the discussion they know what to expect they're prepared they're tracking their cycle they know when their period is likely to fall obviously when you taper it can alter things but you also would want it not to alter things because you've got the kind of balancing um energy availability all set I won't interrupt again no, that's okay. No, I'm, I'm, I'm just really mindful. I'm going off on tangents. No, no, no it's great. It's, it's great. Should we, should we move on to phase, phase two, two and symptoms and all that yeah. kind of stuff? Yeah. Okay, so phase two is often where athletes either are just like, oh, I didn't notice anything, or they just feel really good. So um, this is where estrogen is more um, dominant, or estrogen is dominant. And estrogen is typically associated with increased releases, releases of hormones like serotonin and dopamine, so like feel-good hormones. So often people say they've got more energy, um, they feel like they're able to recover better from training. So um, estrogen also ha- like has been shown to have increased uh, oxidative capacity, so it helps to... Um, like helps with muscle recovery effectively so um it is more of an anabolic hormone um and is just generally i guess associated with more positive outcomes um however not everyone feels that um some people some people as i said some people definitely do some people don't um in terms of like other aspects there is some research that suggests that it might be more important to um like 
carbohydrate load before endurance events at, at this time. But other than that, like I would say the key thing for me in phase two is all about like if there is a slight increase in injury risk. And again, that may well be like individual athlete specific, just ensuring that you're doing all you can to um, warm up, warm down, getting soft soft tissue treatment, but also not being over manipulated. So my physio, Mark Buckingham, is like so on it with the menstrual cycle. And I just love to see the fact that he's male, he's got so much experience and he he can see it. And he always says, I would never um, manipulate a sacred iliac joint in the middle of the menstrual cycle because that is where ligament laxity, in, he's seen it, is increased. And so then that will cause an athlete to over-rotate, destabilize their back, and then that increases risk of certain injuries. So um, I'm, my body is like totally like that as well. So that's something which is totally um, relevant to me. Uh, two. Um, so that's phase two. Um, and then when estrogen levels peak and just as ovulation occurs, some people experience some ovulation pain. Um, I've seen a fair few people with flare, flare ups of previous injuries, particularly those driven by inflammation. Again, as hormones decline, there can be this associated inflammatory response um, and this short term like pain typically around the ovary in the ovary uh, area, ovarian area, which shouldn't last too long, but some people um, are much more sensitive to that than others. Um, I've literally got one athlete who gets a flare up of an ankle injury every single time mid cycle. Um, yeah, it's, it's very interesting. Um, and then we move into phase three. I love phase three. It's, so, <laughs> it's just, so, it's so interesting. And I think data is like really emerging about phase three. Um, so phase three is the high hormone phase. Um, so progesterone kind of enters the mix. Now, there's some really interesting research about progesterone. Um, and like a, a lot of people are, um, I feel, have an increased sensitivity to progesterone. So their mood can be affected. They can feel more anxious um, in the second half of the menstrual cycle. They can feel a little bit more tired. Um, if you think about it, progesterone is very much a hormone that's involved in the like pregnancy process. So your body effectively is like slightly protecting. So if you do have like a, a developing embryo, then you might not have quite as much energy like outwardly because your body is like slightly be more protective um this isn't the case for everyone some people uh, like don't notice that much of a difference some people might feel um like even better in the second half of the menstrual cycle but often people do feel that their mood is slightly affected they might feel a bit more irritable um another thing that often I'm increasingly seeing is a delayed or um, yeah, like a delayed recovery or increased muscle soreness. Um, and there's some research showing that uh, progesterone has some catabolic properties. So it breaks down amino acids. Um, so that can effectively result in increased like muscle breakdown uh, this time in the menstrual cycle. Um, so I think in terms of protein intake, particularly before training, we know that women often aren't aren't as good at eating protein than men might be, like ensuring that you're getting enough in at that time um, is very important. Um, also, sleep can be disrupted because body temperature is a little bit increased. Heart rate can be increased a little bit. Breathing rate can be increased a little bit. And particularly if you're asthmatic or you're at altitude, you might notice that more. Again, different people have different hormonal sensitivities. And I think once you start working with an athlete, you can really start to see patterns in the data that they're logging, which 
it's just so interesting. I love it. It's like a puzzle that you're unearthing. Um, anyway, so um, yeah, I think in phase three specifically, it's very much about looking at fueling strategies to manage symptoms. So looking at if you are experiencing delayed recovery, um, then how can you like get on top of that? But also if you're um are you doing everything you can in terms of recovery strategies too alongside that. Um, also people often start to experience cravings in in phase three. Um, I was working with an athlete last year and I remember sitting down with her and she said to me, oh my menstrual cycle like oh I get such bad pain and I was like oh okay well like you know what other symptoms do you get and she was like I just get so annoyed I just get really frustrated um at certain times of my menstrual cycle but she'd never tracked or looked at her cycle before and she just knew that there were times where she was just like irrationally angry um anyway I was like well talk me through your diet and she was just talking me through her diet and I was like "Mm, that doesn't sound too bad to be honest and then then I was like is it like that the whole time she's like oh no when my period is just about to start I do like some chocolate and I was like when you say chocolate what do you mean and she was like oh I eat I eat one of those chocolate bars and I was like "Mm, chocolate bars and she was like oh that that, those giant bars and oh and two packs of biscuits and I was like oh my gosh but actually like cravings are real and you cannot like your body so your insulin resistance also changes in in phase three so research has shown and so that means that your like ability to control your blood sugar is slightly altered so your um typically you start craving things that are often sweeter things or carbohydrate dense things so again loads of management around that can be put in place and and can be used really effectively um the other thing is like really working on sleep disruption so we've got a number of like sleep strategies that help in in phase three as well so there's loads of like hands-on ways i'm sure i've missed other things to be aware of in phase three but there's loads of hands-on things you can do to help um I guess like dominate phase phase three as I like to put it I, I, I always like to be positive it's not about like surviving any time in the mental cycle it's about like using it being proactive um and then phase four which is the premenstrual phase where hormones decline you have this increase in prostaglandins also people experience changes to their neurobiology so um, there's hormone receptors in the brain um and as hormone levels change then that obviously affects like stimulation to the brain and for some people that can result in real changes to mood again um like in the phase before when hormone levels increase like some people who are sensitive to to those changes can experience mood changes as well but um yeah the the hormonal changes can also affect um like the renin and angiotensin system so like um our ability to control like blood pressure and um like water retention and and things like that so that can affect our bloating um also cause headaches also this increase in inflammation can all, all result in in those um yeah can cause symptoms like that in phase four um and i guess practically speaking again like trying to exercise is really important um and again with this premise that as long as you're managing these i really don't feel this should hold you back but it is important just to think from a recovery standpoint, if there is an increase in inflammation, which again might tip, tip over into phase one, um, just be super mindful of that, particularly as a coach. Like if you do have athletes who do have extreme symptoms, then that could be aligned to inflammation. So it might take them that much longer to recover. Um, so how can you be proactive to, ma- to manage that? And doing like 
I don't know if you were a track athlete and your coach was trying to re-simulate a um, like heats rounds final scenario. Obviously, you don't want to um, avoid mimicking that in the premature window because you could be racing whenever. But if you were doing that on a regular basis in that phase four window, I'd just be mindful that um, the athlete might be tired for a few days after just because it's like, adding inflammation to the already known levels of inflammation that um, exist at that time. Um, so yeah, bringing your A game to nutrition, recovery, et cetera, is super important. Um, one thing I'm very mindful, I haven't really discussed at all is training in the menstrual cycle, mm-hmm. exercise that training. That was the next one, yeah. <laughs> see, there is um, some research out there looking at um different training modalities and how the human body based on hormonal profile might be able to adapt to them at different times in the menstrual cycle so for example it's better to focus on strength training in the first half of the menstrual cycle there is some research um actually suggesting that um Ross Julian at Münster University actually did did a study looking at repeated yo-yo sprints and um, adaptation based on menstrual cycle phase and actually found that there was um, like increased adaptation in the follicular phase in the first half of the menstrual cycle. And I would align that to estrogen um, and the like kind of recovery capacity potentially of estrogen however um, and he would openly say this I feel like more research is needed before we as practitioners would ever start changing training and I think um, that also kind of contradicts with the messaging that I always want to be very um, firm in that actually at the end of the day the first thing you want to do is manage symptoms like unless you've managed symptoms there's no point even progressing but also like an athlete can train and perform at any time in their menstrual cycle providing they don't have an underlying dysfunction so I think yes okay on an individual athlete basis every athlete is an individual um and really you know understanding your athletes if you're a coach out there like that is really important but I I think um it might be on an individual basis you can see that someone is like got more energy or typically does recover faster in the first half of the menstrual cycle then happy days like do that just ensure that they are still recovering they're not putting their their body under undue risk but I just don't think we're at a point of just being totally blanket everyone should do this everyone should do that um particularly because we don't we're not measuring hormones on a on a regular basis and sensitivity to them and numbers of receptors so yeah from I know you've mentioned it quite a few times along the going through the phases about nutrition and I know you've given some recommendations but as a kind of a summary in terms of nutrition, is there anything you can sum up from what yeah. you've mentioned around the phase? Okay, phase one, maybe a bit more of this, a bit less of this. Or put, you know, I know that's Definitely. quite, quite yeah. blanket and quite general, but I think people yeah. maybe I mean, the first thing, like all of this information is in the app, but um, I'd say, so phase one is like a gain to nutrition, factoring in the fact that you're losing blood. Um, so you definitely want to look at increasing iron intake, particularly towards the end of that. Um, phase where you there is this slight like hepcidin decrease um i think like a, a healthy balanced diet but totally adding in your antioxidants and anti-inflammatory foods um i think often so jumping into phase two phase two again is often where athletes are like well I'm, I'm grand i'm fine some people say that they're um 
their appetite decreases a little bit at this time. And I think it's really important to think that, so if the menstrual cycle elongates, so ideally for me, I want every athlete to be menstruating on a regular basis with little variation between cycle length from cycle to cycle. If they are, then that tells us that the body is in an adaptive state. So the body is able to adapt and respond as well as possible to training. Um, We know that if cycles elongate, risk of illness and injury is increased Um, and it just shows that the body isn't isn't happy and and if their cycle does elongate typically that happens um with a delayed ovulation so just ensuring that an athlete is eating enough in in phase two even if they don't feel quite as hungry is is really important so um particularly carbohydrate wise obviously women can be a bit carbohydrate phobe phobiaed um hopefully we're moving away from that now but i think that that is really really important um then moving on into phase three so phase three is like okay this is this is where you need to be thinking about protein as well. Um, obviously, you do anyway, but even more so, and ensuring that you're having serves of protein at every at every single meal. I would say, um, and like decent serves, say like twenty to twenty five grams, um, and potentially like spread throughout the day alongside it. So maybe like five hits um, alongside some complex carbohydrates that will help manage recovery. It will help manage cravings um, and keep blood sugar levels a bit more stable. Um, I'd also say the like I mean carbohydrate is still very much important we know that any exercise over 70% of like total max intensity needs carbohydrate to fuel it regardless but um I'd say that there should also be like you're ensuring that you're having an emphasis on fat intake too because fat um helps with the uh, production and making of hormones so um estrogen and um, progesterone need fat to be made and again you need healthy fats throughout the menstrual cycle but again that is just important to think about that in phase three so in phase four it's really important that again you bring your a game to your nutrition so um again as hormones decline there's this inflammatory response so really having like an anti-inflammatory focus is is important um alongside that there is some evidence to suggest like a a diet slightly higher in fiber um might be good at this time but again like i would say that's symptom-led um and there's also another study which actually um is relatively recent looking at how uh the sensitivity of the gut changes at different times in the menstrual cycle and actually pre-menstrually in phase four gut sensitivity can be um, a little bit increased and the other bit of like I guess research that actually really is quite relevant is um, like omega status and intake of um, fish and oily fish specifically around the menstrual cycle and um, having a, a good like omega profile means that you can tolerate inflammation better obviously the menstrual cycle is an inflammatory process so actually um, ensuring that if if you like fish then like that would be particularly premenstrually it'd be a good time to have that but also if you don't then um, ideally you'd go and measure your omega profile but if not it would be worthwhile thinking about that Um, 
There's also like a whole range of other bits of research really breaking down vitamins and minerals in the menstrual cycle. And I could go into that in much more detail, but I'd probably bore you significantly. But um, again, I I think phase four is like try and reduce intake of like processed and refined foods at a high level um, and just like be super savvy with ensuring you're fueling regularly enough um, and with the right things, anti-inflammatory focus, fiber focus in some circumstances monitoring hydration looking at sleep like everything <laughs> mm-hmm. well I'm, I'm consciously time and not wanting to take up too much of it i know we're coming to an hour which i promised I'd, I'd keep you for this evening but contraception briefly yes what should we what should we know about contraception yeah. Okay, good question. So um, there are a whole range of different types of hormonal contraception. Um, in athletes, they, or certain athletes might be more likely to use certain types. Certain countries might be more likely to use, promote certain types or advocate certain types. And certain practitioners even often have their own kind of feelings about it um, and about which would be the best type of option. Um, I think stepping back the two Two things you need to think about is that there are two categories of hormonal contraception. There is um, combined types, which contain um, synthetic, uh, which is what we would call exogenous, estradiol, and um, a progestin. Um, Typically, the estradiol would be called ethanol estradiol. Um, There's only a few types of uh, combined hormonal contraception that don't use that. And then um, there's a whole range of different types of progestin. Um, and within combined types of hormonal contraception, there's um, of the pill, there is the vaginal ring, and there's also an estrogen patch with a, a progestogen pill. Um, so that's the combined type. It works by suppressing ovulation, suppressing natural endogenous hormones, putting artificial hormones in the body. Um, then there's progesterone-only options. So there's the mini pill, progesterone-only pill. Um, then there's the um, interuterine device, the hormonal interuterine device. There's the implant. And there is also the injection. Um, now, all of these have like variants of the same type of mechanism some have more progesterone in them than others um but they effectively create a um environment uh in in a woman that means that sperm implantation is unfavorable um some of them also suppress ovulation it depends on the different type um we've actually gone into more information about this in our podcast in loads and loads of detail because I think the most important thing is that athletes or women out there understand what they're putting into their body so if they're putting in a pill or if they're having an injection or using an implant they understand what that means what it is what it does and what it means Um, and within each type of hormonal contraception so for example the combined pill there's like so many different types of combined pill with different doses of estrogen in them or there's a monophasic biphasic triphasic there's so many different options out there so being informed I think is super super important and some people go on the pill well for reasons like that are primarily contraception based some people go on the pill um, or on forms of hormonal contraception to manage symptoms everyone's got like a different journey to why they want to use it but or use hormonal contraception generally Um, but again I think it's always important to in my eyes, unless there's a real 
need to intervene as little as possible, um, but also to, um, if you are, understand what that means, how that might affect you. But also, if you're using the pill for to control symptoms, well, are your symptoms actually better on the pill? Have you looked at other means to control symptoms first? If you're using it for hormonal contraception, the last thing you want is to get pregnant at the peak of your athletic career, then that's that's a different discussion. Um, so, yeah, there's lots of things that need to be considered when, when thinking about that. For more uh, info, you mentioned the podcast. Yes. That brings me on to a little conclusion for, uh, for, for this podcast for, you, for your time. <laughs> but, um, where, where, where can people find it? Yeah, so um, basically two of me and a couple of friends, um, like kind of, I don't know, you know, um, over the last few years, we've always wanted to help educate people and talk about these areas more and we just kind of got together and decided to come up with a podcast so it's called the female athlete podcast available on all um, podcast providers um and yeah it's very much about educating people speaking with athletes about their experiences but also even right now looking at covid and the impacts of covid and what that means for a woman what that means generally for an athlete and we see athletes as anyone who exercises so it's very much available for everyone and we're hoping to have um, a couple of coach editions where we talk to coaches about particularly male coaches actually about their understanding and experiences and work out how we can help people moving forwards awesome and if anyone's got any more questions based on what we've discussed or anything else what's the best place for people to um, get so we've got like a general fit to women at oraco.com email address um we've also i've got like twitter handles instagram whatever if um people want to send me a message via either of them um yeah any any means feel free to reach out anyone <laughs> great no that's fine I'll, I'll i'll obviously include you in all the posts that go out so people can easily click on your profile and, and reach out and uh, ask any questions and a bit of discussion and all that kind of good stuff Bro, thank you. Does that sound all right? Well, thank you very much for your time, George. I really do appreciate it. It's great to chat to you again. Thank you for having uh, yeah. me. Uh, oh, my pleasure. My pleasure. And, and it's I'll great to, to see that you're so interested in this area as well. Oh, it's, it's fasc absolutely fascinating. And I'll be um, making people squirm at Christmas parties in the future, <laughs> no doubt, talking well, about it. <laughs> I really do feel that the more we can unlock yeah. this side of female physiology, the more we're going to progress female performance. So exciting times ahead. <laughs> absolutely. Well, thank you very much. Pleasure to talk to you again. Thank you. Cheers, Georgie. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to episode 294 of the Pacey Performance Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the chat with Georgie. Firstly, massive thanks to Georgie for giving up her time to speak to me on the podcast. And um, I think she was dying, I know she was dying to get out for a run on the, uh, on the evening that we did it. So really appreciate her um, fitting me into her tight schedule. So also big thanks to Hawking Dynamics, I Measure You, Athlete Monitoring, and Omega Wave for sponsoring this episode today. As I say every week, the podcast could not happen in its current form without the support of these guys. So really, really appreciate their ongoing support. So got some really cool guests coming up over the next couple of weeks, both on audio, on iTunes, uh, Spotify, etc., etc., but also on video. But sadly, this was not on video for a, um, a technical hitch on my end. Um, so I'm looking to rectify that. Uh, so thank you for tuning in. Thank you for your support. And I will chat to you next week.